It's truly a blessing and a privilege to be here before you this morning. Um, you know, as Pastor Chad mentioned, when I was sitting here and driving here this morning, thinking about everything that God orchestrated for me to be in this pulpit at this time, all I could say is, who could it be but Jesus? So I'm so grateful to be here. And you know, every time when I present the Word of God, I always pray and I ask God, God, what is the message that you want me to share with your people? And as always, and I say this before every time I preach, because God always gives me a word for me first. Because I can't preach to you about a message if I'm not convicted by that message. So God laid a word on my heart this morning that I want to share with you, entitled, The Cost of Discipleship. The Cost of Discipleship. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Kind Father, Lord, I want to thank you so much for your blessings, and I thank you for this opportunity that you have ordained way before I was even born. You knew that I would be here in this moment and that everyone who was watching online, everyone who was in this sanctuary would be here. So God, I know that you have given me a message, not only for me, but for those who are hearing it under the sound of my voice. I pray that they will be convicted in the same way that I was. And Lord, I ask you in this moment that you will let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, because God, you are my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So again, the topic, the cost of discipleship. So now prior to me standing before you as Pastor Crystal or as a seminarian from Andrews Theological Seminary, as Pastor Chad mentioned, I spent almost 20 years in corporate America. And as I see your minds trying to calculate, yes, I started when I was five. <laughs> um, 20 years in the corporate sector. And towards the latter part of my career, I spent a lot of time meeting with the CEOs and the CFOs of very large companies, talking to them about their business and helping them to strategize on ways to enhance their business to make it more and more efficient. And in putting together proposals, I would do my research on these companies. I would talk to the owners, say, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And based upon what they are trying to accomplish, based upon the research that I was doing, then I would put together what I believe was a top-notch proposal. So the deal team and I would put together this proposal, knowing that once we went to speak with this client and did our pitch, there is absolutely no way that they're not going to sign on the dotted line and say, yeah, we want to sign up with your company. I remember one client in particular where I spent a lot of time researching the company, doing a lot to understand what are they trying to, to accomplish, talking with the CEO. And once I got a full concept as to what they were trying to do, I put together this proposal and I'm like, yeah, this, once I go in and present this, this for sure, they're going to say, well, where do I sign? And I remember myself and the deal team being in the room and as they threw out their questions, we would answer the questions. We went through the proposal, everything they asked, we had a response for. And I just knew in the end, they would say, well, where do I sign? So then at the end, I waited and I said, well, can we have your business? And they paused. So I'm wondering, well, what was the reason for the pause? I mean, everything that they wanted, we provided. We even provided at a price that they said was more competitive than the other banks. 
And the CEO said to me, well, we need to think about something, a concept that we use in business called an opportunity cost. Now, some of you may know what an opportunity cost is, and those of you who may think, well, I don't even know what that is, I'm telling you that you actually know what it is. Because every single day and every single moment, you are making an analysis in your mind about this thing called an opportunity cost, though you may not have known that that was the term for it. See, in everything that we do, there is a cost. There is always a cost. And whether we realize it or not, we make decisions every day very quickly, assessing this thing called the opportunity cost. And based on the outcome of our assessment, then we're led to now make some sort of decision. Now, oftentimes, this process can happen so quickly that you don't even realize that's what's taking place. Let me give you an example. Some of you drove a long distance to be here today, even with the current gas prices, and I appreciate you doing that. You had to weigh the cost. Is it worth it for me to come? And you decided to come. <laughs> There was an opportunity cost. At some point this week, if you're honest with yourself, some of you probably decided, am I going to eat a salad for lunch or am I going to yield to my cravings and eat that pizza or that burger and fries, a veggie burger and fries? You were weighing the cost, thinking about, well, what's the calories if I eat this? And I'm, do I want to do enough exercise to, to counter the amount of calories that I'm eating? Or some of you might be thinking about where you plan to go for school and you're trying to assess, are the loans really worth it? So either you or your parents, there is an opportunity cost. And as we make these decisions, sometimes our decisions might be driven by money. We're thinking, well, am I going to make more if I do this? Sometimes it might be driven by time. Like if I outsource somebody else washing or cleaning my clothes, maybe I can use that time to do some of the things I really enjoy. Some of you, it might be driven by your emotions. Will this thing that I'm about to do really make me happy? But there is always a reason for the decision that drives once we make that assessment of the opportunity cost. And I want to share with you this morning that Jesus was very familiar with this concept of an opportunity cost. Now, if you turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 14, 25 through 27. That's Luke chapter 14, 25 through 27. And I'll read it in your hearing. And the Bible says, And there went great multitudes with him, and turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So I want you to take the time to really visualize and imagine this. So here it is, Jesus, with this great multitude that's been following him. And everyone has been following him for various reasons. Some might be following him because they need to be healed. Some might be following him because they are following him out of curiosity. Some are following him just to critique him. 
Some are following him because they genuinely desire to be his disciple. And I want to tell you this morning, it's the same thing like us today. We're no different. Some of us are here in church today because we need spiritual healing. Some of us are here today out of curiosity. Some of us are here today, I hope none of us, are here for critique. And some of us are here because of a genuine desire to serve. See, the thing is, as we can learn from this story, we can't assume that everyone is here for the same purpose. Jesus can't assume that everyone was following him for the same purpose. So that's why he uttered those words. He says, if any man is going to come after me and they hate not their father, their mother, their wife, their children, their brethren, their sisters, yea, even their own life, they cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So when you read that text and you read what Jesus is saying here, it could seem quite extreme. I know for me, when I first read it before going to the seminary, I thought, this is quite extreme. You've got to hate your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, all these people just to follow him. He's saying that there has to be that hate. But I want you to understand, in our English language, when we say the word hate, and we look up that in the dictionary, it's saying that it's defined as an intense dislike for something. But to truly understand what is Jesus saying here, we need to now go to the Greek and understand what is the Greek? What is the root of this word telling us about what Jesus is saying here in this story? And the root word, the Greek word for hate is miso. And what it's actually saying is that it is to show a strong preference and priority of one thing over the other. So it's not literal hate as we think about hate in the English language. See, when you think about the essence of who Jesus is, there is no teach that you'll ever find in Jesus' teaching about hating anyone. In fact, he tells us to love our enemies. So it's important for us to understand what is he saying here. Jesus is in essence saying to us, if you want to be my disciple, then I must be priority above everything and everyone else. Your loyalty must be to me. It must come before your family, even your own life. And that is what Jesus is now laying the foundation for. What is the cost of discipleship? So upon hearing this, I'm sure any person would not be thinking to themselves, thinking about their relationship with their wife, their family, their sister, their brother, and saying, is it really worth it to follow Jesus? Is it really worth it for me to give up all these relationships to follow him? Is the opportunity cost really worth it? And I want to say to you this afternoon that you can't authentically claim Christianity, right? Christianity meaning to be a follower of Christ. You can't authentically claim Christianity unless you are Jesus' disciple. And in order to be Jesus' disciple, that means you would have to count the costs and make a conscious decision. So that word is important, a conscious decision to follow him. See, Jesus in this story, he gets really to the heart of the matter. After he's laid this foundation, then he begins to ask these questions. He says in verse 28, for which of you 
intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient enough to finish it. So before a person even begins to build, they need to be able to make sure that they have the funds to actually complete the project. What would be the use of a half-completed building? Jesus is saying you need to count this cost. Then he asks the question again in verse 31, or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he is able to with 10,000 10, to meet them that come against him with 20,000. So this king now is assessing, am I going to go to war with the 10,000 that I have, knowing that this other army has 20,000? Jesus is asking these questions because he wants for the individuals in this crowd to actually think about what it means to follow him as a disciple. I could only imagine if Jesus were on earth today, he'd probably ask this question. Or which of you is willing to go to Andrews University and pay out of pocket only to make a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the salary that you made before? Or which of you is willing to devote your time to use your gifts and talents, volunteer your services to the church and community? Or which of you is willing to use the money that you saved up to actually help someone in need. These are the things that Jesus, if he were here today, he would want us to think about. So Jesus is asking these questions so that we can really think about what does it mean to follow him? What does it really mean to be his disciple? And I want to tell you this afternoon that the cost is high. Not going to lie to you, the cost is high. But we all need to come to the point where we ask ourselves this question, and only you can answer the question for yourself. Does it really pay to be a disciple of Jesus? Is the opportunity cost of following Jesus really worth it? And as you think about that question, I want to share some points with you to reflect on that as I read this, as I went through my own journey, I had to really think about. And the first point, three points that I want to share with you, the first point is no matter what you accomplish in this life, there will always be a void that only Jesus can fill. For me, when I thought about success as a little girl and growing up, I can't say to you that I always thought, well, I want to grow up and be a banker on Wall Street. That's not what came to my mind, but over time, that's what happened. And once I was there, I thought to myself, you know what? I could see myself getting to this level and that level and this title and that title and then this office. And as God blessed me for those things to happen, there came a point where I just felt like, is this it? And the stirring and the conviction came in my heart where I knew that Jesus wanted more for me than what I was doing. Now, not that what I was doing was anything wrong or bad, but he wanted more for me to do. So I'm saying to you today that no matter what you accomplish in this life, there is a void that only Jesus can fill. And Jesus is so confident about knowing that, that he says to us, if you truly think about it, if you truly took the time to think about where your life is without Jesus, and where your life would be with him, 
That's why he can confidently say to you, well, follow me. He says to us in Matthew, what will it profit a man or woman if they should gain the whole world and lose their soul? What would you give in exchange for it? What would it profit you if you became the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and lost your soul? What would it profit you if you became the richest real estate mogul and lost your soul? What if you became the most famous social media influencer and lost your soul? What would it profit you? Now, understand, I'm not saying that any of these things are wrong. God needs people, his people in all parts of the vineyard. But the point is, if you think about what Jesus is calling you to do, and you weigh it against what you're currently doing, and you say, well, I want to stick with what I'm doing, that is what Jesus is trying to address in this question about being his disciple. The second point that I want you to think about that I had to, to wrestle with is that discipleship is a conscious choice. It's a conscious choice. So you can stumble into religion, but you can't stumble into discipleship. This is why Jesus made it very clear in verse 27. He says this, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, it's important for us to understand the context of what this actually means. See, when we think about the cross in our day and age, we see it as a symbol of faith, particularly the Christian faith. But in the time when Jesus actually made this statement, if you think about it, he had not yet died on the cross. So in the original context of him making this statement, the cross was actually a symbol of death. In fact, it was a symbol of a very cruel death. See, the Romans at the time, they reserved that for the worst of criminals. It was a form of torture, a form of humiliation, ultimately leading to a long and painful death. So why did Jesus use this analogy? He needed his followers to understand that taking up the cross to follow him was not going to be a simple and an easy task. He understood the shame and the humiliation that would come with carrying that cross, but he also knew that for those who chose to follow him, in a little while, that cross that would have that symbol of death and humiliation would one day be the symbol of life. Discipleship, we need to understand this, is not a matter of being convinced. I can't convince you about discipleship. What you need to be is convicted, and only the Holy Spirit can do that. The third point that I want you to take from this, as I reflected on my journey to truly becoming a disciple of Jesus, is to fully experience the benefit of following Jesus, you must be committed to staying the course. I'm going to say that again. To fully experience the benefit of following Jesus, you must be committed to staying the course. In our Sabbath school class today, we were talking about that disconnect between when people share, you know, follow Jesus, it's going to be great. And then you do it and then you start to feel all these struggles and the pains that you had that you thought would now go away, they're still there and you're wondering, you're wrestling with me. I thought this was supposed to be a different experience. And the devil plays on us in those moments because he wants us to no longer be committed to the course but to truly 
receive and experience the benefit, you have to stay committed. See, we live in a culture where people don't want to commit to anything. People sign up for a 30-day trial knowing that they could exit at the end. People want to dabble a little bit with Jesus in church and then go back to their own life. But again, to fully experience Jesus, you have to be willing to be all in. See, once you are truly all in, your decisions are going to seem very crazy to those who don't understand. Why would you leave your corporate job? Why would you leave being a senior vice president to go off to the seminary? Seems crazy. But when you understand the cost of discipleship, when you understand what Jesus can do in your life, it's not crazy. Why would you volunteer all of your time at the church? Some of your friends are probably wondering, what are you doing there all the time, volunteering for VBS and all these things? You're not even getting paid for it. But you understand what it means to follow Jesus. Why would you faithfully return 10% of your income and give an offering? Who does that? It doesn't make sense. But for those who have committed to following Jesus, they understand why it makes sense. Why would you ride over a thousand miles to the general conference to give out tracts along the way? Now, for those of you who might not know the backstory behind this, there's an elder here at the church, him and a group of individuals rode from here in Maryland to the recent GC session on a bicycle, giving out tracts along the way. That would seem crazy, but for the person who knows what Jesus has done in their life, it is not crazy. People will think that you are crazy, but because you have experienced the peace that passes all understanding, you don't care what people think. Because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you don't care what people think. Because you can say like David, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. You don't care what people think. Now, I want to share to you, as we think about these three points, I remember there was an elder at my church where I grew up, and he used to always make this statement. He'd say, you got to follow Jesus. He said, the pay is not much, but the retirement plan is literally out of this world. <laughs> So as you reflect on these three points, as we're talking about this cost of discipleship, this opportunity cost, remember, number one, no matter what you accomplish in this life, there will always be a void that only Jesus can fill. Trust me, I know. Number two, discipleship must be a conscious choice. You can't stumble into discipleship. It must be a conscious choice. And number three, to fully experience the benefit of following Jesus, you must be committed to staying the course. There will be times where it will be rough, where you want to give up, but I encourage you to stay the course. So as you reflect on these three points, as you reflect on the scripture, I ask you the question again, is Jesus worth the opportunity cost? Is the cost of discipleship really worth it? For me, the answer is yes. 
And I hope that the answer will be yes for you. See, Jesus, he truly understands our pain and our sorrow. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says that he was a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. Jesus, he wasn't exempt from this concept of opportunity cost. He understands firsthand what that really means. Think about it. He left the splendor of heaven to come to this earth to die for you and me, knowing that some of us might even accept him knowing that he would be spat upon, knowing that he would be crucified, knowing that he would die. But he weighed the cost. He weighed this concept called this opportunity cost, and he decided that you and I, that we were worth it. So this afternoon, I want you to remember that there is a cost to discipleship. It's not easy. I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to be a bed of roses. I personally had to count the costs. I left what many would deem as a very lucrative career because I got to the point where I felt that stirring and stirring and it was just no longer satisfying deal after deal and promotion after promotion. I just felt like I, I wanted to do more. I wasn't sure what it, what it was. I said, God, what did you create me on this earth to do? And the role that he, the path that he paid for me, it was a part of the journey. Because as I think about me standing here today, it's part of that journey that equipped me to be able to be your executive pastor. So understand that wherever you are on your journey, God is going to work it all together for good. But the question will be, is it worth it? You have to answer that. So this afternoon, again, I want you to remember that there is a cost to discipleship. I assess the cost. I weighed it out. I looked at the opportunity cost. And while many would think that it was crazy, for me, it made all the sense in the world. And I pray that as you think about your life, you think about what God might be calling you to do, what he might be tugging on your heart, maybe to volunteer and do something at the church, maybe to start a ministry, whatever he's calling you to do, I pray that as you count the cost, as you weigh the opportunity cost, that you will choose him. So maybe you're here this afternoon. You didn't know what the sermon was going to be about. And now you're confronted with this concept of opportunity cost and discipleship and following Jesus. And if you're here and you never made a decision for Jesus, I want to pray for you. There is a card in your bulletin. You can fill that out, and our pastoral team will follow up with you. Maybe you're here today, and you're at that crossroads where you've been feeling that nagging and that stirring. And now something about this sermon is making you realize, wait a minute, I have to now make a decision. I want to pray for you as well. Or maybe you're here and you've already counted the cost, and you're at a point where you're, there's no turning back for you. But I want to pray for you that you will stay the course. So I say to you today that Jesus is calling on every single one of us here. And what I want you to remember is that there is a cost to discipleship. There is an opportunity cost to discipleship. But if you choose Jesus, 
it will always be worth it. May God bless you.